Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for joining us. Hope you had a good 4th of July. Parades and barbecues and picnics and fireworks. Hope you had a great day honoring our great country. And now, I don't know, it kind of has a Monday feel today, doesn't it? Hard to get used to the fact it's Thursday. That holiday in the middle of the week can really throw things off. But glad you are with us. We're going to talk about some of the news of the day. Of course, uh, we're keeping close watch on the situation with China. We're about to get those tariffs. And uh, we'll talk with a couple of people about that. Veronica Nye is an economist with the American Farm Bureau Federation. So we will um, get her thoughts on how all of this impacts agriculture and what's at stake here. And just a look at the ag economy in general with AFBF economist Veronica Nye. Also joining us today will be the executive director of Farmers for Free Trade, Brian Keel. His thoughts on the situation with China as well as what's going on with NAFTA and how it impacts agriculture. Also with us today will be Kurt Blades. He's the uh, senior vice president for ag services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. They have identified some trends in agriculture to keep a close watch on and we'll find out uh, what those trends are and uh, talk a little bit about them on today's program but right now let's check in with todd neely reporter for dtn hi todd how are you hey good morning mike good to talk with you have a good fourth yeah it was uh, pretty crazy you (laughs) yep a lot going on (laughs) plenty of hot weather took in the parade and uh you know, nice. had the had the hot dogs, everything. Not as many as uh, Mr. Chestnut. Uh, I wonder how he's feeling today, by the way, after <laughs> putting all those down. You know, yeah, I'm a big I'm, hot. I'm sure. You know, I think uh, I think with our family, brats are the big thing. So, yeah, those are good. Those are great. I'm a big hot dog eater, but I mean, I ha- I see no, I have no desire to try to. <laughs> to, to <laughs> I don't know how you. I I prefer to. My family says I eat very fast anyway but not like that I, I i would like to taste it on the way down a little bit i think i don't think he does that so no no well let's kind of focus in i i know a story that you are are watching closely and reporting on and that is a, a proposal to reform the endangered species act now the endangered species act yeah. always has some controversy that goes with it anyway about the what's protected what isn't what should be uh what about this uh this proposal now to reform it yeah you know on monday senator john barrasso republican out of wyoming um he put forward a proposed reform bill that um he had been working along with the western governors association on um and one of the key things here is that when you when you talk about the western states the 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 issues they face with the esa uh, is mostly related to water allocation issues. Um, you know, I was in the Klamath Basin uh, back in 2011 doing a series of interviews, uh, you know, looking at um, kind of a decade uh, look at what happened in the basin there. You know, they had in 2001, uh, the Bureau of Reclamation had shut down water supplies to farmers. Uh, you know, we saw, we saw some 1,200 families who... Um, you know, had some sort of financial loss, personal losses. Um, and what happened, uh, there were three different species of fish um, that were basically protected. And so the Bureau of Reclamation had come in and said, well, the water levels are not what they should be for the species. Um, and so the people who took the direct hit as a result were, were a lot of these farm families. And, it, you know, it's still today is a real sore spot out there. And um, so what Barrasso had put forward um, you know, similar to what we've seen with the EPA um, and other and other areas of the administration, uh, putting more more of the power back in the hands of the states. Uh, Barrasso's proposal basically uh, would allow states more flexibility uh, to make changes to the Endangered Species Act as it relates to what uh, you know whatever protected species that they uh, that they see in their states. And so, um, you know, I, I don't know at what point this. This bill is going to, you know, have serious consideration. But uh, we've been talking about uh, ESA reform for, you know, twenty some years, and this seems to be probably the proposal that um, probably, 
I would say it's probably the proposal that's probably garnering the most attention in all that time. It's been so frustrating over the years, I mean, to see important projects stopped over a a fish no one's even heard of, for example. Now, that doesn't mean it shouldn't be protected, but uh, when you start balancing, you know, the what the impact that it has and uh, the economic harm that is also caused it seems like sometimes there's no there's no balance there or even uh, right. <laughs> as far as some people think there there's just no uh, common sense used on some of these things no there really isn't and uh, you know the thing that you know when when the Klamath basin issue uh, came up you know we we started looking at different areas of the country um, you know, where where species had been classified as threatened or endangered. And really, you see it you see it across the country. Now, you know, here in the Midwest, um, <clears throat> probably to a lesser degree, but definitely when you look at the overall effects and the overall costs that landowners uh, incur, um, you know, Farm Bureau put out an estimate uh, a number of years ago that it's somewhere in the neighborhood of $1.7 billion annually um, you know, and a lot of that has to do with farmers losing uh, losing the ability to farm certain parts of their ground or to graze certain parts of their land. And so, yeah, it's it's a very big deal. And I think, um, you know, at this point, I don't know that the conservation groups are really on board with this, uh, this Barrasso proposal, but it definitely gets the discussion going again. And I, I think that's what the senator mostly wanted to get going was uh, just a real debate about this and, you um, you know, with the Western governors behind this particular proposal, I mean, he's got a lot of clout behind it. Doesn't take much to get a debate on this topic because a lot of people feel no. that the way it's way the rules being interpreted now, many times it's humans that are the endangered species. <laughs> yeah, and you know that that's a that's a great point because uh, you know I, I remember out in Oregon when I went out there, I heard story after story of farm of farm families basically selling out the land and, and moving on simply because they didn't have, you know, a consistent access to, to water. Um, you know, without water and agriculture, you don't have agriculture. And so uh, this this particular bill, I think, um, you know, that's really going to get to the heart of, of what, uh, what we see. And, I, you know, focusing on the Western states as it is is really because of uh, the great deal of challenges that they face in terms of water allocation. And so... What works out there, you would you would suspect, will probably work around the country. Yeah, because there have been examples of it really impacting uh, people in a lot of places across the country, not just out sure. west. But you're you're right; that might be the impetus out there to uh, to get a change in the rule. We will see. Well, Todd, yep. thanks a lot, and uh, we'll be watching right. your reporting on this. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Mike. Thanks. Take care, Todd Neely with DTN. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk with Kurt Blades. He is the Senior Vice President of Agricultural Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. They've released a study uh, identifying three major trends for agriculture in the next 25 years that uh, we need to keep an eye on and how it will impact agriculture and, and changes. And it uh, be interesting to see what are those uh, three particular trends that they have identified. We'll find out next when we talk with Kurt Blades with AEM right here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning. But you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, 
the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York Banking Departments. Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. All right, crew. Let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811 brought to you by common ground alliance if you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year if you love sharing good times and making great memories or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever then it's time to discover the three c's of your very own endless pool the first c is convenience imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool installed indoors or out just steps away the second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice. Because when you call for your free endless pool idea kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location. Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back, and we welcome back Kurt Blades, the Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Kurt, how are you? Did you have a good fourth? I'm doing well, Mike. Thank you. Yes, I did have a great fourth. You know, yesterday I was at our parade, our Fourth of July parade here in Jacksonville, Illinois. Great parade. Plenty of hot weather. We were <laughs> looking for shade, that's for sure. But uh, at the conclusion of our parade, we had a uh, several of the uh, old uh, tractors, and uh, it, it was just a great way to wrap up the parade and, and, and showcase agriculture's and agriculture equipment's part uh, in our nation's history, the important part it has played, and great to see that old equipment out there on display and, and in the parade. I agree. Isn't that great to see uh, old tractors in, every, in pretty much every small-town parade? It's just a highlight of every small-town parade. Yeah, it really is. All right. Well, you have um, your your group has come out with an interesting uh, report here. I think it's always interesting to look into your crystal ball and try to figure out what you know what's coming five, ten, twenty years down the line. It, it can be risky, but uh, you have uh, identified some uh, interesting trends for agriculture moving forward. Tell us about it. You bet. We did. We commissioned a study with uh, with a research partner, Context uh, Consulting, out of uh, out of West Des Moines and all over the nation, uh, to to look at really what they started with was thirteen kind of global trends that are happening in the in the world in general, and things like you know global global climate change and and uh, you know, sharing economy and information based economy, those type of things, those major trends, and we narrowed that down to uh, three that we thought were going to have the biggest impact on agriculture. And, uh, and we're kind of, we just came out uh, last week with a, with a public report on that. Pretty excited about, about those three trends. Okay, let's take a look at it. What's the first one? Well, the first one uh, I, was uh, the one that kind of blew my mind the most is uh, we talk about the farm structure change. And basically that's a, a fancy way of saying that, uh, you know, the ownership and control of, of farming is, is going to continue on the path that it's been going on for a number of years. But we put some numbers behind it to talk about where the land is actually owned, uh, who owns the land, who farms the land, and then, you know, what 
what will happen in the next five to ten years in terms of the in terms of land ownership. And basically, what we came what we kind of came up with, and the research supports this. In fact, uh, Iowa State came out with a study just last week to to say the same thing that uh, you know there's uh, there's a whole lot of absentee landowners uh, in in, uh, in in farm country, and that's going to continue because a lot of that land has been set up uh, in either a land trust or set up in some sort of inheritance where uh, where the folks that are farming the land aren't necessarily going to be the ones that are going to continue to uh, to be the ones that own the land. But what is interesting is that if you look forward, you know, 20 years from now, so when the current generation that is that is owning the land, when that current generation passes that land on to the next generation, that's when we we look to see sort of some pretty major trends and pretty major changes in the ownership of of, of that farmland itself. Is that you know I know that my family's farm in in northeast Missouri, you know we're we're you know going to be a century farm this year, which we're pretty excited about, and and you know we're we're good we're fortunate that we've got multiple generations involved in the in the family farm, but I know that a lot of the land that we're farming is also you know owned by folks out of St. Louis and and it was. And, and other places, and it's land that was in their families, but they're you know just further and further removed from the farm. As that, as you get further and further removed from the farm, you have less emotional attachment to it, and at some point, that land probably will transact. Mm-hmm. Interesting. The average age of farm operators now fifty-eight, higher than it's ever been, and a lot of the those farmers, their children have moved on to other areas, started careers away from the farm, haven't they? They they have well I'm I'm a good example of that Mike as you know in the in the 90s when I was coming of age and and looking into my career farming wasn't necessarily the occupation that was going to make the most sense for my family and now that uh, you know the, the the farming economics makes a whole lot more sense for me to consider going back now I'm established in a career and it's a little bit more difficult for me to make that change another little fun fact that comes out of that is that only 10 percent of the land um, actually transacts, uh, it has transacted in the last 10 years. So it's a, it's a very small percentage of the land that actually does go up mm-hmm. for sale. And most of that goes to, you know, sort of either a private party sale or, or a, to a neighbor or even to a family member. So when we start talking about land prices, you're really only talking about a really small percentage of land that is actually sold on the open market to people that are not part of your family. All right, trend number two. Trend number two that we uh, yeah, not a not a big surprise is uh, talking about technology and artificial intelligence. And you know, I think we're just beginning to scratch the surface on what that is going to mean for for farming. I mean, we've seen how much how much technology and precision farming has been adopted in in uh, in, in farms, certainly in, in larger farms, and in certainly in the smaller farms. But then you begin to Start introducing predictive technologies like uh, the stuff that uh, uh, Blue River is doing, where it's identifying the weed and then uh, you know only spraying the weeds through some sort of artificial intelligence. That is a fundamental shift uh, in the way we we produce crops. But what I think is the most interesting piece of this uh, technology and artificial intelligence trend is taking a look at where the where the investments are coming from. And you can kind of look through, uh, you know, there's a ton of ton of startups, and there's a ton of, uh, of new entrants into the into the market that are all, uh, you know, putting dollars to, to startup companies in this in this space. What's most interesting is that the funding from that is coming from outside of agriculture, so it's not coming from our traditional members, or not coming from those that are typically invested in farming, but it's coming from folks like Google and, uh, of all places, IKEA. So when you begin to think of these folks that don't have the same traditions that we have growing up in the farm industry and bringing some of that creative thinking to uh, to production ag, there's going to be some pretty major changes in, in production systems because of this new technology that's coming into play. We're talking with Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers, looking at uh, three key trends for the next 20, 25 years for agriculture. What's the third trend, Kurt? The third, the third trend is closely related to the second one, and that's kind of this whole service-based economy. As we saw with uh, in the transportation world when, when uh, Uber 
took over as the, the ride-sharing company and, and all of a sudden now is the biggest transportation company in the world, or Airbnb as the uh, hotel-sharing uh, uh, website uh, became the largest lodging company in the world, both of those two organizations don't own a single asset. And when you think of just the mindset of consumers as they they shift from feeling like feeling the need to own an asset but instead renting the asset or even just having uh, an asset as a service, that changes things a, a little bit as well. As you think of farming as a pretty asset-intense uh, uh, business, if you, can, if you can move things to be more service-oriented than asset-oriented, it's pretty big. And we think about this, this precision farming and, and a lot of that high-tech stuff that's happening in, in, uh, in pieces of equipment. It does require a different level of expertise than, than you know, many of us have been you know, uh, educated to be able to do. So we see a big increase in both ag services and the types of services that, uh, that, that are offered, at, offered to farmers as well as you know, perhaps some, on the flip side of that, some real labor shortages for that high-tech uh, high tech service uh, uh, employee to, to service those farmers in rural America. And finally, Kurt, real quick, in the equipment uh, business, are we starting to see, and if so, to what degree, uh, a shift away so much from brand loyalty more to bottom line? Uh, you know, what... Uh, what deal makes uh, the best economic sense rather than color? They're looking maybe more at uh, the the uh, bottom line on uh, uh, an equipment purchase. Well, you know, that's been a, a, a trend that's ebbed and flowed over the years. I mean, I think good business people do tend to look at the bottom line more so than, than brand loyalty. But I'll tell you why. a lot of the brands that are popular here in the U.S., uh, they've, they've earned the right to be popular in the U.S., whether it's through dependability or good service. Uh, so I, I don't know if I can point to a trend of that of that brand loyalty going away necessarily, but I would say that it's something that uh, that uh, you know every every good brand that's got loyal customers has to continue to uh, to innovate and do everything they can to keep those customers loyal. All right, so it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Some of it we're already seeing starting to happen. We'll see how it develops over the uh, the next several years. Kurt, as always, thank you for being with us. We'll look forward to uh, your latest set of uh, sales numbers coming out when next week. It comes out next week, Mike. So we'll have a, it'll oh. be the the six year picture. I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what it looks like, or six month picture. Uh, excuse me. Looks, all right. Well, we'll look we'll look forward to talking to you about that. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. Kurt Blades, he's the uh, Senior Vice President of Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers, looking at some of the uh, the trends developing for agriculture. What's happening right now in the ag economy? We're going to talk about it with an economist with the American Farm Bureau Federation, Veronica Nye, will join us next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. For the grain and oil seed sector, we've got an early mix on this Thursday with corn and wheat trending higher an hour into the trading day, soybeans near unchanged. U.S. stocks opened higher Thursday as investors look beyond a looming deadline for tariffs to healthy economic data and a potential de-escalation of some trade tensions. 
Shares of car makers rising after a German press report that the U.S. proposed to stop threatening to impose tariffs on cars imported from the EU if the EU lifts duties on U.S. car imports. Lean hog futures backpedaling as Mexico's tariff rate on pork is scheduled to jump from 10% to 20% today. A round of new tariffs between the U.S. and China also slated to go into effect on Friday, including an additional 25% on U.S. pork. China previously imposed a 25% tariff on U.S. pork back in April. Meanwhile, China has been shifting soybean purchases to Brazil. According to Paul Burke of the U.S. Soybean Export Council, Chinese importers have mostly stopped buying U.S. soybeans. New crop November soybeans have been mixed so far on the day. The 850 level acting as psychological support on the upside. First soybean resistance lies at 899, the June 29th high. New crop December corn, the 10-day moving average serving as first resistance at 370 and three quarters of a cent. Wheat futures trending 14 to 15 higher in Chicago, 15 cents higher in Minneapolis. Livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures, 35 to 57 cents higher, 17 to 27 better in feeder cattle, and 50 to 75 lower in lean hog futures. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is mobile help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with mobile help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile help did save my life. No question about that. Call mobile help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, these are anxious times for agriculture with tariffs and retaliation uh, certainly hanging over the markets. And joining us now to talk about it is Veronica Nye, economist with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Veronica, thank you for joining us. Uh, I guess that's uh, the word right now, anxious, anxious to see what's going to happen. And I guess the other word would be nervous. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, that that does sum it up well. You know, I feel a little bit like a broken record of late talking about all the uh, the, the tariff lists and retaliation and, and all the different things that uh, that that it's going on. But you know, this this week is the big week um, where uh, the a lot of the tariffs that we've been talking about actually go into effect. So uh, certainly a lot of anxiety out there and, and uncertainty as to how. All of these different tariffs and, and trade actions are going to impact um, our, our farmers and ranchers. Hard to keep it all straight, and, but unless something changes uh, dramatically here at the last second, what's going to happen with China tomorrow? Uh, well, tomorrow um, we have a, a full list of, of products that are going to start facing a, a new uh, tariff and retaliation for the, the tariffs that the U.S. put in place um, on the the investigation that, that the administration concluded about intellectual property uh, rights theft. So um, a few weeks ago, the U.S. started uh, putting tariffs on $34 billion worth of products from, from China. Um, and almost immediately after our retaliation list was, was made public, China put out their own list, um, which... You know, your previous segment I was listening to about about pork because I think it's very interesting um, that you noted that U.S. pork into China has already been facing a 25% tariff. So these tariffs that are going on this week um, by the Chinese government are in addition to those that have already been uh, in place. So for products like U.S. pork, 
they're going to be looking at tariffs of over 50% additional to what they were paying already. It it becomes kind of staggering after a while when you just keep adding on and adding on. Uh, it it certainly it doesn't mean we're not going to move any product into China, but it's sure going to make it more difficult and make it uh, more attractive for our competitors to get in there. Yeah, and I think you're you're already seeing that. We can't forget that the rest of the world, um, while U.S. product is is of utmost quality, there's there's a lot of other producers around the world who are also growing and raising the same things that we are. So, you know, um, to kind of stick into the, the pig side of life, um, the world is, is kind of flush in pigs right now. Uh, the European Union, which is a large producer and, and exporter of pork, they've got a lot of pigs. You know, China themselves has a lot of pigs. They've, um, you know, we probably think that that market was going to be weak this year anyway. So, you know, you put that into, in combination, you know, low competitiveness for U.S. products because of the additional tariffs, and then a lot of global supply. And uh, as you said, it doesn't mean that we aren't going to ship some product, uh, but certainly not at the levels that that we were thinking um, maybe just six, uh, nine months ago. Economic harm has already been felt, especially in in the pork sector. But Veronica... do we have any way of knowing the potential economic harm in general to U.S. agriculture if this continues? You know, that's a question that our board of directors has continually been asking. Um, you know, it's a little hard to keep up because, you know, you put some, you do an estimate today um, and, and next week there could potentially be additional actions. Um, so all of those different behaviors that we're all engaging in, they they compound uh, one another um, and can, you know, certainly something that's competitive today, uh, next week if, if we see some additional tariffs, um, might not be. So, no, I don't have a big, large, hairy number um, that I can share with you. Uh, but I think what we're starting to see in, in the corn and, and bean side of life um, is looking at that considerable amount of um uncertainty that's existing in the marketplace um, and really making it difficult for farmers to, to market their their crop. So those risk management tools that we usually rely on uh, are becoming less uh, less able to help catch all of that risk that, that we're seeing uh, from these political activities. And you look at the timing with depressed prices already, and in the case of pork, as you said, a lot of hogs, we've been increasing the herd size, and then what looks like uh, could be we're on our way to a pretty good production year again for both corn and soybeans. So all that together really makes uh, makes it tough as far as uh, the markets are concerned. It makes it tough for them to, to, to see any positive to move forward or move up. Right, and I think you're you're seeing that um, in in one small way. Um, we've just released a market intel article today about uh, the amount of crops still in in storage um, yet to be uh, marketed. This you know old crop, of course, um, and we're seeing a lot of uh, of corn and especially soybeans still in in storage facilities. Um, soybeans are a near record level of, of soybeans um, in facilities. And I think that's, you know, just an expression of how much anxiety there is out there. Folks don't want uh, to market a product that they, with zero certainty as to what, what the price impact uh, might be today or tomorrow. So, you know, we've already got a fair amount of uh, carryover out there and then potentially big uh, crops coming in, we could be um, looking at quite a bit of product um, left to left to market that uh, we're not that we're not used to. Um, and I think what's sort of interesting is we start looking at the timeline for. We know these these tariffs are going into place for all these commodities this week, um, but you know a lot of the chatter out in, um, both in the political and economic space is that. You know, we could certainly be looking at having these tariffs in place through, um, at least through the U.S. midterm. Um, and when when you start overlying that with the amount of, um, or the sort of what share 
of sales and, and exports of, of U.S. Uh, soybeans to, to China. Um, you know, you compare the dates, and over the last three years, about 50% of U.S. soybeans uh, that were sold to China occurred between the beginning of the marketing year in September and through the second week of November. So we're looking at a lot of a lot of product, a lot of uncertainty, uh, unfortunately, for quite a while. We're talking with Veronica Nye, economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Then, of course, Veronica, we have the situation with the uncertainty over NAFTA and already some issues, especially with Mexico, which is such another big customer. We talk a lot about China, but Mexico is a very good customer. <laughs> That's a great point. You know, Mexico has consistently been the U.S.'s third largest uh, trading partner for ag products. Um, Canada trades off with with. Ch- with China, one year they're number one, the next year they're they're number two. But, you know, Canada and Mexico, when you add them up, they're about a third of U.S. ag exports are going to these two countries. Um, we're always focused on, on what's going on on, on the U.S. side uh, and what's going on with our elections, which is obviously important. But Mexico just had their own big presidential election uh, on the 1st of July. And... Um, uh, new leadership taking taking hold there in, in Mexico, so that leads you know uh, to additional uncertainty on the NAFTA front as as far as quickness to to conclude a renegotiation. Um, and President Trump made mention just this last weekend that that he doesn't want to or doesn't foresee a conclusion to a NAFTA modernization until after the midterms. So. Uh, that's that's quite a long time of, of uncertainty, and it's it's good to remember that way back when, <laughs> this spring, we were talking about steel and aluminum tariffs. Uh, Mexico and Canada had been exempt from those, um, but that that exemption expired, and now Canada and, and Mexico are, are paying those additional steel, uh, tariffs on steel and aluminum. Um, Canada and Mexico are the two places where we get most of our steel and aluminum. Um, by the way, and they're, the tariffs that they are putting on in retaliation for the, for those efforts um, are going on this week. So it's a it's a big tariff uh, tariff week. Uh, Mexico has shown in the past that uh, they certainly know how to hit the U.S. Uh, where it hurts when it comes to retaliation tariffs and the the list of products that that are subject to to new tariffs um, looks a lot like the tariff list that we saw Mexico put out the last time we had a trade dispute um, over trucking uh, back several years ago, which uh, those in the, again, in the pork industry will remember uh, that that was a, was a pretty big, um, it was a long and, and pretty significant impact that that had on, on the U.S. pork sector. So unfortunately, they're getting it from, from several countries uh, on, on the trade side right now. Wow, tariffs and increased production and still old crop uh, supplies. It, it's kind of like a the, the perfect storm here that is weighing on the markets right now. Uh, well said. There's a lot of a lot of downside risk out there right now. Uh, hoping that a lot of these these tariff tariff and trade actions can be dealt with quickly um, before we start adding to those to those mm-hmm. stocks. Um, I, I think that would certainly make farmers and ranchers feel a lot better if we could have some some sort of a win on, on the trade front get some of these uh there's a lot of balls in the air if if maybe we could <laughs> eliminate uh, one of one of those uh activities that would that would certainly would add help. some confidence and, and you'd see that hopefully reflected in in stronger uh, prices uh, throughout the fall yeah we need some good news that's for sure veronica thank you for being with us thank you i appreciate it Veronica Nye, economist with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Well, more on this trade issue, uh, trade issues, I should say, with the tariffs and the retaliation. We'll talk with Brian Keel, executive director for Farmers for Free Trade, next on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I'd wake up with a sore neck or maybe a headache, or I'd feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. Well, when I invented my pillow, I wanted it so you could adjust the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not how much time you spend in bed. It's how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all my own manufacturing in my home state of Minnesota with a 10-year warranty and you can wash and dry my pillow and here's my best offer ever get four my pillows for the price of one that's right get four my pillows two premium pillows and two travel pillows for the price of one order my pillow at 800-871-7280 and use promo code farm11 get four my pillows for the price of one call 800-871-7280 and use promo code farm11 go to mypillow.com and at checkout use promo code farm11 all right guys we're ready for our four season sunroom and daddy's gonna get a rec room with refreshments oh no we'll be sleeping under the stars mom what about the one with you know the fun nice try little bro it's a gym my gym hey grandma's getting her four seasons garden room weather tight and still like being outdoors maybe a living room oh no wait a family hub yeah no matter what the budget the season or the climate Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited-time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. A lot can happen in six seconds. A rodeo ride, a dramatic basketball win, and the world record holder can solve a Rubik's Cube. Six seconds is how long it takes for an 18-wheeler traveling at a safe speed to come to a complete stop. And in those six seconds, that truck will travel the length of two football fields. So please, give them room. Never cut in front of a large truck for any reason. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin. UVB rays burn. And both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. 
Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So we just heard Farm Bureau economist Veronica and I describe this perfect storm that's going on right now, weighing on the markets. You have the, the tariff situation and retaliation. You have large inventories, especially in hogs right now, growing herd size. Uh, in in crops, you have a lot of old crop still, uh, you know, in storage. And now the potential of a lot of new production coming on as uh, we're well into this growing season. So all this coming together at the same time. I want to talk about it with Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade. Brian, thanks for joining us. And, and really all this, there's never a good time for trade problems and tensions, but this is an especially bad time. Well, that's right, Mike, and thanks so much for having me on. Uh, yeah, the, the, you know, the, the multi-fronted trade war uh, really is, is causing concerns for a lot of agricultural sectors uh, today. Uh, you've got to remember that this isn't a trade war just with China, but we've decided to, to pick a fight with Mexico, with Canada, with the EU, with India, with Turkey. I mean, this really is turning into a global trade war. And uh, when you look at how these countries are hitting back, you know, they're hitting back squarely on U.S. agriculture. Uh, and part of that's because we export so much of U.S. agriculture. So it's a, a logical place for them to hit. But it's, it's, it's hurting, uh, and, and these tariffs are already starting to take a bite. What do you make of, uh, you know, Secretary Purdue it keeps assuring farmers that the administration is going to take care of them and have uh, working on a plan to make up for, for these losses. Uh, do you put much stock in that, and is, is that something that uh, you find uh, comforting or, or, or reassuring or not? Well, look, Secretary Purdue is a good man. Uh, he's a, a farmer himself and, and definitely one of us, and, and we like Secretary Purdue. I, I think the thing that's important for people to understand is is tariffs and the effect of a trade war are not a switch that just gets flipped on or off. That, uh, you know, we can all hope that this gets resolved in the next three months or six months, but let's take the best-case scenario. Let's say it does get resolved in the next six months. The damage is going to be done. Uh, Brazil is increasing their soybean exports to China. Um, Argentina has shipped wheat to Mexico. Our competitors are stepping into this trade dispute, and they're taking advantage of, of us being in a fight. And so even if we are able to back these tariffs off back to pre-trade war levels, um, the impact on U.S. agriculture is going to be felt for a long time. Um, it's really like for those who've been around long enough to remember the uh, the grain embargo, the Russia grain embargo. You know, when that ended, it it didn't mean that suddenly everything was okay. That impact was felt by by U.S. Uh, grain producers for for another decade because we had lost market access. Yeah, that's a good point. Once you let a competitor get their foot in the door, uh, they're not just going to go away and. Uh, as you pointed out, things don't just uh, all of a sudden they'll be good the, the, the day after the, all this ends, whenever that is. Uh, you now you've got to deal with a stronger competitor. That's right, and 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 you also got to re- reflect that everybody, not just our farmers, but around the world, everybody's watching this trade dispute, these trade disputes, and making investment decisions. So. You know, if Brazil thinks there's an opening to sell more soybeans, they're going to be putting in more soybean acreage. Um, you know, these decisions are being made that are going to last for years. Um, so what's really frustrating to us is that, look, U.S. farmers, U.S. agriculture built these export markets. You know, in most cases, we use checkoff dollars to expand market access. I mean, that's that we've all contributed to these kitties so that we can we can improve our ability to export. And the damage that's being done today to our export markets with canceled contracts and with our competitors now being able to get in the room, we're going from a place where we had markets locked up to overnight uh, seeing, seeing that market dominance starting to erode. The hope is that there will be better deals coming. But as you said, they're really going to have to be, they're have to be very good to offset what we've lost already. Well, that's right. And, and I think one thing that shouldn't be lost on, on people and, and that the concern is, you know, the countries that we're in a trade war with, 
they have their own constituents as well. So it's not like the U.S. can go to a country and say, do what we say, and these countries are going to roll over and say, okay, you know, scratch our bellies. Um, you know, they have their own ag interests. They have their own their own political considerations. And so while we can get better deals, I mean, part of the idea of trade is that everybody can win. If you structure a deal correctly, you can, you can improve efficiency and, and, you know, the consumer prices can decline, et cetera. Um, we shouldn't assume that just because we rattle our saber, the other countries are going to fold their cards and say, great, you know, we'll, we'll behave better. A, a deal really has to be better for that country and for us in order for them to work. That's especially true when you look at some of the trade rhetoric. I mean, if we, if we beat up on Canada's pr- uh, premier, on, on, on Justin Trudeau, and you know, say that there's a special place in hell for him, okay, now the Canadian population is saying, don't you dare cut a deal with the United States because the Canadian population is now upset at us. So it makes it harder for us to get a deal with those countries. Same with Mexico. You know, to the extent that we're beating up on Mexico and its people, well, the Mexico population, the government isn't going to be able to cut a deal that's as favorable to us because they're going to be getting pressure from their population to not cut a deal because people are angry at the United States. So words and rhetoric, they really matter in terms of where these, these trade disputes go. Yeah, and it just seems multi-front wars, uh, that's, pretty, that's not usually a good strategy. Right. Yeah, that's, I mean, you know, I think, you know, most people look at the situation and say, China's not a good actor. You know, China does some really bad things, not just on intellectual property, which is what a lot of this focuses on, or on steel. But for agriculture, we know they play games. I mean, they play games on phytosanitary standards. They, they, don't, they don't behave the way we'd like them to behave. I think the, the challenge is, okay, instead of taking on China and just really hammering China as part of a coalition, a global coalition, saying, China, you have to behave better, and going through the World Trade Organization to force China to comply, we've opened this multifaceted trade war, which actually makes it harder for us to get concessions from China, right. because they know, you know, we're fighting, look, pork exports, exports, take that as an example, okay, China put tariffs on pork in retaliation for our steel and aluminum tariffs. Right. Brian, Tomorrow, we're out of time. China... Oh, we're out of time. Okay. I want to talk more about this with you in the days to come, though, all right? Oh, absolutely. This is a big Thank story, you. and we're, we're happy to get back on Brian Keel with Farmers for Free Trade on AOA. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. Is your post-harvest grain protected from the ravaging effects of stored grain insects? For up to four cents per bushel, Diacon D-I-G-R provides long-term insect control by ending infestations and preventing rebound. Miller Coors, Bush Agricultural Resources LLC, and other malting companies have approved Diacon D IGR for use by its growers and companies that supply its growers. Help protect your stored grains with Diacon D IGR. For more information, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com. <laughs> 